you, Brother Terry. That should be our desire, just to have a closer walk with the Lord. Thank you for sharing that this morning. Thank all of you for taking part in worship. Thanks to our praise team and our soloist, and thank all of you. And we pray God will be, have been, has been honored and glorified in what we've shared this morning in worship. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. A little brief passage in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, one that you perhaps have memorized. And so I want to share with you a sermon this morning. That's the kind of thing about Bible school and studying the Word of God. And I want to share a message I've simply entitled, The Word of God. And we want to think just for a while this morning about the Word of God. Let's look at Genesis 1 and verse 1. Then we'll turn to John chapter 1 in just a few minutes, 1 through 3. Then we'll end up in 1 Peter chapter 1. So right now, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Notice that. In the beginning, God created. Hebrew word there is bara, which means he created it out of nothing. Man creates something, and he creates something out of something already created. But God created out of nothing. In the beginning, now what's important is not when it was, but who created it, which is God. In the beginning, God created out of nothing the heaven and the earth. Father, thank you for all that you uh, do for us, how you not only create life, but how you sustain life. Thank you for an opportunity to be here this morning, the health that we have to be here. Help us, we pray now, as we focus upon your word, speak to our hearts. We pray we might see the power of your word. And, Lord, we pray we might see the truth of your word. We pray, Lord, we might see how your word changes a person's life in regards to regeneration, salvation, redemption. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we study your word this morning. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Let your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure when you parked out in the parking lot and you came in, you already noticed as you gathered in the gathering space out in the foyer uh, from the parking lot and you came into the worship center, we're getting ready for an exciting week of vacation Bible school here at Mountain View Baptist Church. And let me just say again, parents and grandparents, we'd love to have your children and grandchildren here at Mountain View Baptist Church this week, this coming week, beginning tonight for Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School begins today, goes through Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., and we're going to have a good time. This is a week where we just turn everything over to the children and children's teachers and our youth, and we just use the facility to have a good time studying God's Word and being with each other. I want to thank Kim Whitten again. I want to thank Richard Whitten and all they've done and all you teachers and things you'll be doing today and getting ready.
for tonight, and so the coming week's going to be a great week. And so we have classes, I mentioned, from three-year-old through youth, and so should have a uh, class for everyone that wants to attend. Now, you may wonder, you say, well, Brother Samuel, why is it so important for me to have my child at Vacation Bible School at Mountain View Baptist Church? Well, the main reason, we're going to be teaching them something that they're not taught in summer school, and they're not taught during summer sports, and they're not taught at sports camp. We're going to be teaching them the Word of God. We're going to be teaching them the Word of God. We're going to be teaching them the Holy Scriptures. The point is, the most important place that your child can be, or your grandchild can be this summer, to start the summer off, would be in Vacation Bible School. I really believe that. Now, why is that? Because God has a life-changing experience waiting for your child or for your grandchildren. And so they need to be here. Whatever activity that you have planned, I promise you, it's not going to be as important for them as they would be here studying the Word of God. It's very important. So let me encourage you to start the summer off by showing your child that nothing is more important than studying God's Word, and we're going to go to Vacation Bible School and learn about God's Word this summer. And so I hope you'll have them here. Now I want to ask you a personal question. You, you know, no show of hands or anything, but is Jesus Christ supreme in your life? Is Jesus Christ king over your life? Let's put it this way. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Does he have all power and authority and control of your life? So the point is, if Jesus Christ is as important as being the Lord of your life and the King of your life and supreme over your life, his word is equally as important. It's very important. Now, we learned in our adult Bible study class a couple of weeks ago in regards to on Wednesday night, we learned from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created heaven, the heaven and the earth. I said that it's not important when the beginning was, but what makes the difference is who started it all. Don't get hung up on when the world began or when creation began. The most important thing is who started it all, and that's God. So who started it all? God did. And so you have his deity mentioned. You have the word God, the English word God. So the deity is spelled in English G-O-D. We refer to him as God, but in Hebrew, the word is here is Elohim. Elohim is important because Elohim is a plural word. It's not speaking of God singular, but speaking of God plural. So we have in the first verse of the Bible what we refer to as the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now when you study a Bible and you come across and the Bible begins to talk about other images and other gods, or another God, it's still Elohim, but it has a small letter E, not, not depicting a deity. But when you have Elohim, when the, the word 
with a capital E, it's referring to the, the plural God, uh, Elohim. So you have God or gods, little e. You have the God, Elohim, which is a capital E. But it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so that's, a, that's an important word right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So the word God is a triune God, a plurality of persons. Now, I'm not ashamed to say that at Mountain View Baptist Church, we believe in the Trinity. Now, some do not believe in the Trinity. Some churches, uh, some religions do not believe in the Trinity. I just look and under the Jehovah's Witness when it comes to the Trinity, when it comes to God. One person, God, called Jehovah. No Trinity. Jesus is the first thing Jehovah created. Well, that just flies in the face of Genesis 1, verse 1. But that's what they believe. If you want to go to the Mormons, look under God. God the Father was once a man. That's interesting. But he progressed to godhood. That's interesting. He had a physical body, as does his wife, heavenly mother. No trinity, no father, son, and holy ghost. All three are separate gods. Worthy members may one day become exalted to godhood themselves. So those are the other beliefs. But as, as Christian, we believe in the trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One reason, the very first verse, Elohim, plural God. And so remember that, if anyone should ask. And so the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, none of those, none of them supersede the other. They're all co-equal. You don't have three separate gods. You have one God manifested, God the Father, in three ways. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now look, if you will, at John 1. John 1, verse 1. Familiar passage, no doubt. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, there's that beginning again. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him. Now, who's the Him? The Word. All things were made by Him. And without Him, the Word, was not anything made that was made. Now, some will say that Jesus is not God. They, they think He, well, we mentioned a few minutes ago that one, one group believed that uh, uh, Jesus was created, a created being. And some believe that, you know, He's the, uh, the a brother of Satan and a brother of the devil, and it just goes on and on. But some will say Jesus is not God. Well, that statement disagrees with the book to say that he's not God. He, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see that? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus is as much God as God the Father and God the Spirit. Now notice verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. Made by who? Made by the word. So the question, what does the word word imply? Well, word implies communication. And so what you have, there was, there was a person in the Godhead who would become the communicator. He'd be known as the Word. The Word of God. So the point is, the Word becomes the communicator. Jesus Christ is the Word. He's the communicator. He spoke the power of creation into existence. And so the Word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, spoke the world into existence. Therefore, when we come to Bible school, or when we come to worship, or Bible study, or Sunday school, and the Bible communicates to us, and is communicated to us by the communicator, the Word Himself, Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God that you hold in your hand. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, as we go just a little further. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 23 and 25. You could take uh, all of chapter 1, but look at verse 23 and 25. <clears throat> being born again, uh, we know what being born again, being regenerated, being saved, being redeemed, being born again, Jesus told Nicodemus, You'll never see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Why is that? You're born wrong. You're born after, you're born after the seed of Adam, your Adamic nature. We're not all children of God. People say, well, everybody's a child of God. No, we're children of Adam. We're born into the family of God. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if you're here this morning, you're a child of Adam or you're a child of God. You still have that old Adamic nature unless you've been born again. So being born again in verse 23, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, notice, by the Word of God. You're born by the Word of God. We'll see that in just a moment, along with the Holy Spirit, which liveth and abideth forever. Speaking about the Word of God. And so... When you think about the Bible, what can you do with the Bible? So you may be here this morning, you may despise the Bible. You can despise the Bible. That means you can hate the Bible. Some people do. You can deny the Bible. I don't, just, I don't believe that stuff. Well, that's, that's denying the Bible when you don't believe the Bible. Or you can distort the Bible. You can twist it. You can add this, add that. You can twist the Bible. But However, the most dangerous thing that you can do is disregard the Bible. It's the Word of God. Now, I, I want to mention about three things that you need to know about the Bible. And there's a lot of things we need to know, but jot these three things down. It should be on the screen. The first thing about the Word of God, we need to know the Word of God is uncontestable. Uncontestable. You can try to contest it. You, you can try to find fault in it. Uh, the reason I don't believe it, it's not right, it's not wrong. You cannot contest the Bible and say that it's not true. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. 
So verse 23 calls the Bible the Word of God. The favorite expression by God for the Bible is the Word of God. You hold in your hand the Word of God. The first five books refer to the Word of God 500 times. The books of the prophets refer to the Word of God over a thousand times. Over 4,000 times in the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to the Word of God. Forty-four times in the New Testament, you, you, you hear about the Word of God. And so the point is, when the Bible speaks, God speak it. Your argument to contest it is an argument with God Almighty. So the Bible cannot be contested, proven wrong. So if God is speaking, what's the conclusion that you can draw? Well, first of all, God cannot lie. He's pure. He's righteous. There's, he's without sin. Therefore, what God says is not a lie. It's absolutely true. So the Word of God is uncontested. And if the Word of God is uncontested, then it must be true. It, it must be perfect. 2 Timothy, jot this down, it won't be on your screen. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so it goes uncontested. So in your outline, if the Word of God, the Word of God is uncontested, if it is the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. If it is the Word of God, then it is the nature of our salvation. So if you would, look at 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter again. And as you look at 1 Peter, look at verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. Point being, the, the Word of God is the nature of our salvation. You see, the fall of man was brought about by a failure to believe the Word of God. Adam and Eve fell simply because they failed to believe the Word of God. They refused to believe it. They failed to believe it. Genesis chapter 3, jot this verse down. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall, eat, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said, You're not going to really die. And so the fall of man was brought about, about a, in regards to a failure to believe the Word of God. So Adam and Eve's temptation began with just a direct attack by Satan upon the Word of God. And the fall was the result of that attack on the Word of God. Now, in regards to regeneration, back at 1 Peter, notice what he says. 
He says, 1 Peter, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Spirit of God, in regards to regeneration, the Spirit of God uses the word of God to quicken the conscience, to bring about conviction in our lives. And then the Spirit of God uses the word of God to open the sinner's eyes and to, to, to open his heart to the realization that, that, that he is a sinner or she's a sinner and they need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And then regeneration takes place when that awakened sinner responds to Jesus Christ. And after that awakened sinner responds to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in the life of that born-again believer to affect their spiritual growth. You use the Word of God after, to, to be saved. You use the Word of God after you're saved to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You'll never grow in Christ and sanctification without this right here. And so the Word of God nurtures us to salvation, it nurtures us to discipleship. So the Word of God is true. The Word of God is incontestable. The Word of God is the nature of our salvation. I'm going to close real quick with this. The Word of God is imperishable. The Word of God is imperishable. Notice what it says in verse 24. For all flesh is as grass... The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth the flower thereof, falleth away. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so the word, the word is imperishable. Now the world is perishable. James uses a similar analogy in regards to the flower faded. Jesus used a similar analogy in Matthew 6.30 about the flower fadeth away. The point is everything down here is impermanent. It's not permanent. Everything down here is impermanent. However, it's here, it's gone tomorrow. Your grass dying at home. Yeah, mine is. It's, it's not, it doesn't last forever. It's not permanent. But the Word of God, he says, endures forever. The Scripture also says it endures forever. Not, it not only liveth forever, the Word, but it endures forever. Verse 23, it endureth forever. Isaiah 46 and 8. So the Word, the Hebrew word, meno, and Isaiah is translated, it continues, it dwells, it remains, and it stands. The Word of God will remain forever. The Word of God will dwell forever. The Word of God will remain forever. The Word of God will dwell forever. After you have been gone for a thousand years, the Word will be here. It's proof positive today after thousands of years. So the point, God's word is, as, is imperishable as the eternal God is. It's the eternal word of God. The Roman emperor, Ecclesian, 
Uh, he tried to burn every copy of the Scripture, but he failed to do that. And then you had the Roman church. They sought to destroy every copy of, uh, during the Reformation, but they, they failed to do that. Voltaire uh, once held up a copy and vowed to put, I'll put this in the morgue, <laughs> but it's here. He failed. It endureth forever. It is made out of stuff of eternity. It's, it's um, a partaker of the divine nature. Its foes perish, but it continues. And so do we. The blood-bought, born-again sons and daughters of the living God continues. All flesh is as grass, all glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower there uh, falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now what are you doing with the word? Are you despising the word? Do you, do you despise the word? Do you believe the word? What do you do with this thing that's been around for thousands of years and to be here unless the Lord comes a thousand more, perhaps, or longer, or how long he tarries? The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will be here forever. Endureth. It's an eternity word. And so this morning... The, the word that we've talked about, spoken about, that same word says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. The same word said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Holy Scripture, God's word, God speaking, says as, as, as many that believed on him, in him, shall have everlasting life. This word says, if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what the Word says. And so how do you respond to this Word? Have you, have you, responded, have you responded faithfully when the Word says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, did you get all that? For with the heart man believes to righteousness. You're going to confess what's in your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made to salvation. Have you confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord today? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Better translation says this. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you confessed that with your mouth? I pray the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. You know, Paul said this. Paul said the gospel is hid to those who are blinded by the devil. 
And I pray this morning that God will touch your eyes and open your eyes to the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ came, he died on the cross, he was buried, he arose again. One day he's coming back. That you would be willing to trust him and only him as your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that um, we'll realize how important your word is to us as believers. And Father, that uh, forgive me when I haven't read your word and studied your word and, and not applied your word. Help me, Lord, I pray. Forgive me of the times I have neglected your word. But then I pray for those who are here today, perhaps who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life. And I pray this morning, if, if they... If their eyes have been blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, Father, you would give them sight into your word to understand that, that it's through you and only you that we can have eternal life and that through your word you're willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and Father, that by simply trusting you and you only, that you came and died and rose again, that we too can have eternal life. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would awaken hearts here this morning who perhaps have never seen the truth, Lord, about salvation or about regeneration, about how important your word is. And so I pray today that uh, those who are blind, by Satan will have their eyes opened, and those hearts who have been hardened will be softened, and we can allow your Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Thank you for all that you do. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us in.